Hello, in today's episode, we are diving into the complex relationship between emotions and eating habits with our guest, Bethany Gettis. Join us as we uncover the emotional triggers behind overeating, discuss the impact of childhood experiences on adult eating behaviours, and explore practical strategies to develop a more mindful and balanced relationship with food. So grab your cuppa and a healthy snack, get comfortable, and let's dive into the world of emotional eating. Welcome to The Secrets in the Powder Room, where we share stories and open up conversations about all the secrets women are forced to keep out of fear and shame. I'm Louise Bryant, professional certified coach, intuitive eating counsellor, and trauma-informed domestic abuse specialist and survivor. I'm here to support you on your healing journey and help you feel like you're not alone. This is not to be a replacement of your own professional medical and or legal advice. This podcast contains adult language and content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today we have our wonderful guest, Bethany Gettis. Bethany is a highly dynamic, internationally known, certified holistic nutritional consultant and real food advocate. Bethany is focused on guiding busy, health conscious parents to optimize their health lifestyle through nutrition while creating a holistic balance. After all, she created her business, Nutritious and Delicious, because she believes a healthy family starts with a healthy parent. Thank you for coming onto the podcast today, Bethany. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Bethany, can you give us a little bit about your background and maybe how you got into the nutrition space? I actually started my journey professionally as a nurse and I worked in the diet and health industry. And it's very opposite to what I do today. But it was actually key because it really helped me understand where clients are at. And what I noticed working in the industry was that it wasn't long-term results for people. And working in that industry, a lot of people had very black and white thinking. They were kind of perpetual dieters anyway. It was a medically supervised diet. So that's where obviously being a nurse, it was really helpful to see all that kind of stuff for myself. But it was more the mindset and the the long-term aspect of actually trying to get people to eat a certain way for like their own bodies. And I think just handing somebody a very generic one fits all plan, it didn't work. And a lot of people really struggled mentally to stay on track. And there was a lot of shame and guilt around food, which I noticed massively impacted people. There was a lot of people that um, had like childhood traumas and stuff like that. And they brought it in obviously. And it was very like, now I need to be rigid with my food. And it's a way of sort of being able to control aspects of their life. So it kind of led me to go back to school and discover holistic nutrition. And that's where I actually opened up my own business after I had my two kids and decided to do a holistic business to actually help people long-term and customize plans and customize the counseling to my clients. So it actually fit them, not the other way around. So that's kind of what led to Nutritious and Delicious. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. So what's your definition of emotional eating and how would you explain it to somebody? Emotional eating is, it's, it's kind of a hard area because it's a sort of another, I want to say another form of addiction, but it can be for some people. It's a way sort of for people to cope with feelings and it's more driven by emotion than it is for the need for food. So it's never usually about the food itself. It's more so the emotions that are driving the person to 
give themselves a dopamine rush typically. And that's usually through really heavy carbohydrates or sugar, like for a sugar high. And the body does actually chemically change and give you those serotonin boosts. So there actually is a chemical change when you actually do eat food. It's a, it's a pleasure effect. So a lot of people start to eat that, you know, in terms of like eating a lot more carbohydrates, eating a lot more sugar, and they're sort of relying on their emotions now to eat versus out of hunger. So they could like be really full, say like after dinner. And a lot of the time, emotional eating comes up at nighttime. And it's typically when you're alone with your thoughts late at night. And that's typically why my most people say like, I don't have a problem during the day, but for some reason, it's always like I snack really late at night, or I seem to really struggle with my food toward. And that's when I start to hear with people, okay, so it's now getting into like the emotional side. It's not like a hunger thing. Typically, we have to rule out first if it's actually a physical issue. If your body, say, isn't like using its own insulin properly, say you're you know, struggling with maybe type 2 diabetes or something like polycystic ovarian, um, that's kind of something different that you're going to end up dealing with. But emotional eating is driven mainly by the thoughts going on in our head. I mean, interestingly, so do you, do you think, because I, I find sometimes with, with some of my clients that with the emotional eating, sometimes it can be if someone's dieting, yeah. we can be mistaken for hunger and emotional eating because we could could sometimes just be hungry where we've like maybe dieted yeah. all day long or just restricted ourselves all day long from sugar or carbohydrates. And then by the evening, we're like, oh, you know, now I'm tired. Yeah. I'm hungry. Do you think, do you ever come across that within your... Yeah, the word right there, you just said restriction. So that word restriction is a trigger. For people right so if you tell yourself i'm restricted in what i can eat you're also telling your body that in a chemical way too so your body is going to actually be very hungry for nutrients obviously and if you're fasting this is why i i try not to get people to fast or do anything that's too rigid when they do kind of suffer with the emotions around eating because it actually perpetuates it and it makes it a cycle and, and it gets a lot worse. So I do actually have a four-step process with clients that are very emotionally driven with their food because a lot of the times it's not really understanding what's going on at first. And they think it may be something to do with maybe feeling hungry. Yes, that's probably a first thing. If your stomach is physically growling, you probably A, need some water because a lot of times people don't drink enough water. So you physically take that off the table. Um, and if you feed yourself, obviously, with nourishing food, your body is going to be satisfied. If you eat junk throughout the day or you're restricting throughout the day, your body is still going to tell you it's hungry at the end of the day. And it's looking for nutrients because it still needs to function, whether you're talking, walking, you know, um, doing any kind of motion throughout the day, your body needs those those energy, like that calorie, right, to kind of keep your body functioning. And that's where the fatigue sets in. So people are like, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. And your body's saying, I need some more energy, right? But it could be the types of foods that you're actually missing out on. Okay. So tell us a little bit more about your four-step process that you were speaking about. Yeah. So a lot of the times when people come to me, they usually come to me based on weight. So it's usually, I need to lose weight. That's typically where most people start with. And we go through a consultation. When I go through the consultation, it's typically a it's not always a reality. I think a lot of people look back and think I used to be this before I had kids or, you know, when I was in high school and I was on the football team, like, and I have to like ask them, like, is this a reality for you now? Like, are you able to keep this weight? And a lot of people are like, no, because their life has changed. Their, their parents, they're maybe doing a desk job now. So 
I need to sort of set the expectations for them realistically first within that consultation. And we sort of talk about, okay, what is like a realistic place for us to kind of go? So that's usually where um, I build a, a customized meal plan for them. And then typically after that, this is where people are like, hey, now I have the meal plan. It's my base, but now I'm struggling. So a lot of people, you can give them a plan, but then within two, three weeks, they start to self-sabotage. And that's a typical normal behavior with people who have always struggled with food and typically their weight, emotions, things like that. So this is where the counseling and the coaching comes into effect. And this is a step-by-step process because it's not something you can just pick up overnight and say like, oh, like I'm cured, like everything's, you know, hunky-dory now. Um, So I usually do a four session package with them because each session I do, I actually bring up the one topic. So The four things I talk about, A is awareness. That's awareness around everything that's going on. Uh, B is neutralizing. C is habit changes. And four is replacements. So I'll kind of delve a little bit deeper into sort of each one and what they mean. So the first time I really have a coaching call with somebody, I'm getting them to sort of be aware of what's going on and like what they've done in the past and understanding the cycles that they're going through. So that it's kind of presented to them, like all the, all the feedback I'm getting from them with their language. That's one thing, because if they're very black and white thinkers, I'll get a lot of language back that is, I should, and you know, I, I can't, I always do this. Like it's very one or the other, and it's kind of extreme. And usually when I'm talking to somebody, I can kind of verbalize that back to them. And a lot of the time people are like, I didn't even know I was doing that. So I think having that awareness at first and also pointing out to people not to judge themselves in that awareness phase, because you're going to sort of start to see yourself try and go back to old habits and not criticize yourself or make yourself feel worse to kind of get that cycle going. But it's just having an awareness. And this is where it's a good place to start to sort of journal and maybe write things down like, you know, in the evening, this is what's happening. And I'm also like gravitating towards, I want to eat some really, something really bad all of a sudden. And doing that for a couple of weeks, people come back with a lot of information of like, I realized I've been doing all these things. So that's kind of the first step that we kind of go with people. And everyone's different in how long they sort of need to be in that phase. Some people, it takes them a little bit longer because it might be a bit of denial. And some other people are a lot more self-aware. So that's kind of the first step. The second call, we go into neutralizing. So now they have like that awareness around the food. Neutralizing is more so looking at like, okay, instead of saying like this food that you love to eat, say it's, you know, crisps, chips, um, chocolate, donuts and stuff. Instead of saying they're bad or I shouldn't eat them because you've got that black and white thinking saying like, oh, it's really bad for me. Neutralizing is making all food good. And this is where the holistic aspect comes in is instead of saying like, you know, you should be eating chicken and broccoli and salad. We all know this. Um, And we all know that, you know, to kind of get abs in the kitchen, you got to eat really clean, lean and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of people, they struggle with, I should be doing this, but I'm not. And then they're pushing themselves into this um, cycle, right? Of like, I should be doing it, but now I feel really bad and I'm going to eat more because I need to get rid of it or I need to get rid of this feeling inside. And neutralizing it, what it does is it takes away the, it takes away sort of the the putting it on a pedestal. And when someone has some food that they're like thinking about all day, it almost becomes like a bit of an obsession. So that's the dieting, right? Like, it's like, oh, I'm not allowed to eat any of this stuff. Like I've got to stay away from it. 
And it's like, this is a no-go zone. And then what happens is what most humans want is you want what you can't have, right? <laughs> so that's where it pushes a lot of people into this, like, oh, I really want that pizza. And you see someone eating it and you're like fantasizing about this like delicious pizza or whatever it is, or chocolate. And then you eat it and you're like, it's not that great. So you're kind of pumping it up in your, in your, in your head, right? And when you think about food, and this is what advertising does as well, when you think about food, you start to salivate, you start to like, like actually have physical symptoms of like wanting it. And this is why, you know, the junk food industry does really well, because, you know, it's a temptation, right? And, and it's something taboo that you shouldn't really be eating. So this is where neutralizing is at, like getting people to kind of almost add it in without it being a problem. And it's going to be weird at first, because you're like, I didn't think I was allowed to eat this. But you're trying to take the control and the power out of the food to kind of make it feel like you're just like every other, you know, food out there, like vegetables, you know. And do you ever do anything with them where they kind of have the um, have the food and sort of saying, if, if, does it actually taste that good? And, and say the pizza, yeah. like you said, if you eat it and if it tastes amazing, eat it. But if it doesn't, just don't eat the pizza. Do you ever kind of sort of talk to them? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of like it's more staying in tune with like what's going on in the situation because I find a lot of people when they when they binge they kind of lose the sense of where they are and what they're doing. It's almost like you just kind of go into a trance and you just kind of keep going and then you come out of it and you're like what have I done and then there's shame and guilt around it, right? But instead of doing that, it's now you've got the awareness, okay, I really want it. Why do I want it? And you're asking yourself these questions. It looks really good. It smells really good. Okay, take a bite. Okay, it tastes really good, but it's super greasy. And then also check in with like, do you feel like, how do you feel after? Like, does your stomach feel? And I find a lot of people start to look at like, one of my stomach hurts. Like, okay, so do you want to eat that again? Not really. You know, like it kind of didn't make me feel very good. Like in the moment I felt great like for five minutes. And then that's where number three comes in is habit changes. So now you have that awareness, you're neutralizing the food and the habit change it is, okay, so you don't really want that pizza anymore. Like what can you do instead for five minutes that would make you feel good? You know, so it's kind of putting those little replacements in because a lot of people come to me and go like, I can't have this anymore or I need to like work out all of a sudden. And it's like, they have these extreme plans and I'm like, okay, but what are you replacing these things with? Like these habits, if you're pulling something out that you really love, you've got to replace it with something that's enjoyable and is good for you whether it's something to do with self-care, all that kind of stuff, right? So habit changes is kind of like being aware now, okay, well, usually late at night, this is what I'm doing. Is it because I'm actually hungry? And most of the time it's a no, because most people have had like a decent dinner, a pretty good feeling, but all oh, that commercial came on and now I want some chocolate or now I want, you know, a pizza or something. And you're like, okay, so I go and have that. I would always suggest to people start with something small, start with like a small slice of pizza. Instead of buying the entire pizza, buy a slice, try and have a kid size ice cream instead. So it doesn't make you feel as guilty, but you're starting kind of small. Then you're asking yourself, do you feel satisfied? And if you're not a little bit more, sometimes you can have a bite of dessert or a bite of something really greasy and be like, you know what? I actually didn't really, I don't really want it. Like, I don't know why I wanted it all of a sudden. Right. And sometimes it could be just that neutralizing aspect of like it, it was kind of pumped up in my head or people around me were eating it. And, and again, food is cultural and food is, you know, it's there's tons of events we go to. Right. And you think about it. OK, so 
why do we eat birthday cake? Because everyone else is. Why do we, you know, because we're everyone else is doing it. So we're kind of like feeling like I have to sort of join in. And sometimes, you know, people think, well, I don't really feel like having it. Maybe I'll just have a bite of somebody else I'm with, like I'm sharing or something. And that's typically how I see it myself. Like if I really want it, I'll look forward to it and I'll enjoy it while I'm having it. And then I won't give myself that guilt and promise myself, I'm not going to feel guilty after I eat this because I want to enjoy it. It's somebody's birthday. This is something I've been looking forward to. If I know I'm going to feel guilty about it, I just don't even go there. Because I'm like, well, why would I put it in my body if I don't really feel like eating it? So I'm kind of re-asking like myself those questions and I get my clients to do that as well. And then the fourth, the last one um, is when we get to sort of the end of the coaching and we're putting it all together and we're going through all these steps and making sure like we're aware, we're neutralizing food, we're replacing habits, and now we're making sure there's replacements. So this is where like a good idea would be like, okay, so you're, you're never going to get rid of like the sugar cravings or the salt cravings because we're all just geared like that. And we're emotionally driven with food as well, but it's replacing it. So if you are somebody that enjoys like French fries, for example, you know, use a French fry uh, recipe that is a lot healthier using yam fries, maybe doing an air fryer instead using sea salt, using like coconut oil, that's a lot healthier for you. So that's an example, instead of going to McDonald's or something and buying them and feeling really like, you know, icky after in your body. Chocolate is another one. Like I'm lactose intolerant. Like I can't eat dairy and I've grown up on dairy, but I absolutely have like love chocolate. But for me, I've had to find other solutions and that's dairy-free chocolate. And I keep it in the house all the time. And because I'm good at neutralizing food, I can put it with my trail mix. I can have it with an apple and peanut butter and I don't feel guilty. And I don't have the, the reaction I would after if I ate milk chocolate. And if I'm desperate for milk chocolate, which sometimes I am, it's rare now, I'll go and have it. But I know I'm going to have to suffer the consequences in my body after, right? So, you know, it's it's having those little things around. Um, and also for some people, it might be about portioning it out a little bit as well. Like um, that helps too. And then putting something away for later and always telling yourself there's always more. Like there, because I think there's a there's also another one that I think you pointed about um, the, the restriction. There is also another one that comes up with people growing up in very, I'd say, poor households or not having enough food around. There's a feeling sometimes of lack of food. So it might not even be from dieting. It might be from that there's um, there's not enough food to go around or you weren't used to like always having an abundance of food. So you feel like you need to hoard. And that comes into binge eating as well is that I feel like I need to eat everything at once because I'm not going to have it again or somebody else is going to take it from me. So that's kind of another thing that um, I've noticed in my, in my journey as well. Yeah, I've also noticed with some people who's may have been a bit overweight when they was a child and their parents have restricted them from yeah. having, oh no, your siblings can have cake, but you can't because you're, you need to watch what you're eating. And then that way they would go out and secretly eat. Yeah. And then create it creates this whole thing around as soon as there's an emotional trigger or they are on their own, they find that they are going for the food. That's pretty common. And um, it's unfortunate because I know parents are trying to do their best and they think maybe they're, um, they're helping, but I've seen it so many times and, and it really, it upset me too, in a sense of like, when I worked in the diet industry, I did actually see a couple of kids like young kids. And I thought, why are you bringing your kid in here? Like you're giving them such, you know, tapes already. And they were probably maybe nine or 10. And, you know, 
being in that like you need to already like look at your body and not let it grow like you know I, I get it like you know getting kids outside more is is easier and like getting them to play and exercise and making it fun but when you sort of start to tell them like there's something wrong with you but like your siblings can have it or whatever it's it kind of makes them start to think that like yeah it's it, it kind of leads to secrecy and it makes the problem worse unfortunately and it's more so going into like why are the kids like hoarding food and why do they feel like they need to eat more like do they like it's usually more of a deeper issue and maybe it's their way of trying to sort of have that love you know that comfort that love for themselves so I think that's a it's a bigger issue on on that aspect but yeah I, I see that and and also just in, in awareness too of parents talking about their own dieting their own calories and stuff you talking your lingo around children it and your body image as well like if you talk negatively about yourself or food in general you will start to notice that language in your children so you got to be aware of this right because it will spill over yeah yeah and it's interesting when we start to talk to our clients and we start to dig a little bit deeper into what is the emotion so what is the emotion that you're feeling and what are you trying to mask or what are you trying to hide or what are you trying to disguise or what are you trying to get rid of so when we when I normally work with my clients and we start to unpack that a little bit I'd always get them to kind of think about the yeah. emotion that they might be feeling and what else could they be doing in order to deal with that emotion or soothe that emotion so what's your kind of take and your views on that yeah it's it's usually leading up to it so there's a pattern that usually forms and a lot of people are disassociated from their emotions and they're not aware of like what's going on so it could start with like being at the grocery store and you're hungry and you're standing in the aisle and you're looking at all this bad food and you're not, you're sort of telling yourself like, I really want it. I don't want it. And then it's like almost like a feeling of, of defect. Like there's something like you feel like there's something wrong with you. Sometimes it can do with like, can be, it's, it's like a lot of, a lot of things to do with self-esteem and self-love, or it could be the opposite self-hatred. So it's kind of like, it can be a reward or punishment, right? So it's like, I don't deserve to look a certain way. Um, and it's like that feeling of, you know, um, I need to sort of make myself look, look the way I feel. You know, if you, if you talk really negatively to yourself, it can come out as like, I, I don't deserve that. I deserve to be fat. And it's just like an inner tape that you're telling yourself and you are perpetuating that reality, right? Another form, it could be protection. Uh, I, I find a lot of people that I dealt with definitely in the dieting world that have struggled with their weight and they were very severely overweight. There was a lot of childhood abuse, trauma, and it was a form of protection that I don't want anyone to be attracted to me. It was a way of sort of when, when things were going on around them that was chaotic, it was a way of sort of like it was something that helped them in the moment and comfort. And, and they didn't really realize it. And it's brought into their adult life. And the shame and the guilt, it keeps people in that secrecy. And that's where you find like, you know, if you have a partner or somebody like hidden rappers or things like that, or all of a sudden, like, you know, you see a lot more of them gaining weight and things like that. So you'll start to see sort of signs in other people. It's being compassionate to others because it is, it's such a, it's such a harsh, you know, it's a harsh world to live in. And I think a lot of the projection of 
what we should look like is changing. It's evolving right now, but there's always, you know, somebody else looks better than you all the time. And then and you hold yourself up to this image or an image of your like a younger version of yourself or an image that has never been there, but you, you kind of put yourself up to this, like this measuring stick. And if you don't feel like you are there, sometimes it's like, well, like being sabotaged is that I don't look like that. So what's the point? I'm going to just like make myself feel worse anyways. And it's a, it's a cycle that feeds itself. So those emotions where the clients, I try and sort of check in the first call I have with them. And I usually just start to ask them about themselves, you know, how they kind of got here. Like what, like, what have they experienced? Who have they gone and seen? And I can kind of get like a picture of like, are they, are they more like looking after their health in terms of holistically? Do they enjoy working out or do they feel like they constantly need to push and shove themselves to have this body or this, this life that they want? And, and why is it so difficult or why is it so easy for them? You know, so it's kind of just understanding that at first and, you know, reiterating that back to them. I think then a lot of people are starting to understand, okay, and picking up on that, like, you know, are you an anxious person? Or, you know, do you feel depressed a lot of the times? So checking in with those feelings, because a lot of people don't even know. They're just kind of going through life and sort of just like letting it be. So that's sort of the first place I go with them is understanding like, what's the first interaction I'm having with them and kind of how they're coming across. And as you get to know them, you start to hear more and more different things and also different, a lot of experiences as well that people have gone through. It drives them to these places, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so what about lockdown? You know, there's a lot of people, you spoke about people's pasts and how they have these habits from their childhood or when they were younger and trying to get that body back that they used to have. But what about people who've put on a weight, gained weight through lockdown, and now they're really struggling at the place where they are now and trying yeah. to be that person that they were pre-lockdown or have that body they had pre-lockdown now that lifestyles change you know we've got the new norm of a lot more people are working from home sitting in the office bodies have changed um how are you kind of dealing with that and what you what's your experience yeah the pandemic has been really really hard on people everyone I've spoken to I've spoken to a lot of psychologists too and they are seeing a huge amount more people in terms of anxiety I think a lot of people feel like their power has been taken away from them and what do you what happens when people feel like their power is taken away they need to have some sort of control back and that control sometimes comes in the form of food so that's kind of where you see that come in is that I feel like I haven't been able to do anything for myself or think for myself so therefore being at home what's the easiest thing for me drinking went up during the pandemic food definitely I saw that a lot when I was grocery shopping, comfort eating. And it's sad because it's happened on such a huge level. And some people haven't come out of it. And a lot of people have also realized that they haven't gone back to the gym. It's understanding who, who are you before the pandemic and trying to figure out where you are now. And it's, it's, it's a tough one because it's like, it's that notion of, not letting somebody take you down, but it's in, it's been in such a big way worldwide. And I think a lot more people have not been able to sort of pick themselves back up because it's mentally drained them. And that's where I think a lot of people are right now is like they feel fatigued. It's like an emotional fatigue worldwide. And it's giving yourself that compassion to baby step it back because it's going to take time. 
to get better. It's a trauma. It's it's been a worldwide trauma for a lot of people. A lot of people have lost their jobs, they've lost friendships, they've lost partnerships. Like there's been so much segregation all over the world from this. And for it to go on for a couple of years and people not think that it's affected them in, in like some shape or form, you know, that's that's denial right there. So, you know, it's affected everybody in different aspects, whether it's financially or with weight. It's baby stepping it back. And it's getting yourself back into, okay, what did I used to love before that? Can I do something now for myself? What we do actually as a family, because, you know, we, we struggled in terms of, we like being outside and in the winters here in Canada, it's hard because it's like minus 30 degrees sometimes. And you're like, I can't go outside. And when there's a, you know, winter storm and stuff like that, you feel really cabin fevered. So for the kids and I, um, and my partner, it was like, what can we do? And we kept saying that to ourselves and the kids is like, okay, so this and this sucks right now. We can't do all these things, but what can we maybe do at home that's like fun and we'd like think of a like hide and seek or do something or do like a family movie night and do like some fun, interesting snacks or like paint canvases together or like just something other than like us going our all separate directions and, and kind of wallowing in this in this feeling. It's like we were kind of together in it versus it separating us and then now we do a lot of things where we can go outside in nature and it's made us more grateful so it's kind of trying to see the the light through the trees and like now the doors have kind of opened up for a lot of people a lot of people are like still kind of like trying to close the door themselves you know yeah I hear that a lot of people like the pandemic pandemic so I know yeah. the pandemic I think I kind of got quite healthy it was like a good chance for me to slow down and find more time to exercise and eat well good. but then I moved house and I moved away from my friends and family and I'm I mean I've had this discussion with you before and I have found that because I, my husband was still working he was doing night shifts back in London so I was he was away for four days at a time and I was at, on my own with the children while I was having a house built in a small flat and I found comfort in food like food became yeah. my best friend you know I didn't I have my friends say. and family around that yeah, yeah, so it just and I, and I sort of see that I could see that how that could potentially happen to lots of people in lockdown when they're on their own, no family and friends around, no one to kind of no dog to take for a walk, no children to play with, and they're just alone and just that becomes like you were saying before as well with like some people who've had ch- child abuse. It the um the food becomes your friend, it becomes your love, yeah. it becomes your companion, doesn't it? It's like oh, food right. will make it better. Yeah. And actually you just said it, like I was thinking right as you were saying it, food became your friend, right? So you have, uh, you, it's, it's to look at this as a, as awareness is that, um, it gave you a sense of connection. That was the feeling. It gave you a feeling that like, Oh, I get to like go and meet my friend at the end of the night. We're going to get sit together. And it's like, we'll watch a movie together, you know? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's not to like shame that, feeling it's just to realize like that's what it meant for you like it it was like it was a comfort so I think a lot of people lost that connection um especially moving like we I know you're from the UK we moved to Canada when I was 10 and I know it was hard on our family and that connection like leaving family and friends and starting a whole new life like you just said and like not having friends and family around it's like that's another form of isolation. So that was sort of like your, your mini pandemic kind of thing is that you're like in a bubble on your own. And you're like, now what do I do? Who do I go to? And this little friend's like, hi, like I'm in your fridge. Like you can see me every night, like let's connect, you know? (laughs) And that's just the feeling it gives you. You're like, oh, wonderful. 
and that feeling when you eat it, you're like, it, this it's a, it's a feeling of serotonin and, and a happy boosting. And that's exactly what would happen if you had a friend over and you were having a chat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's just understanding what that, what that was for you. Mm-hmm. And, and what's interesting. It's like, you, it's like, you now have to break up with the food, you know, <laughs> like as your friend, it's like, I love you, but you're not really helpful for me now. You're kind of being toxic, like, like putting boundaries in for your food. And for yeah, food friend. yeah. It is. And it's kind of that it's that, you know, we can hang out, but you have to sort of change to a bit healthier. Like, cause I can't do this. Like I'm, I'm getting bigger and I can't fit in my clothes. So it is almost like a, a, a slight breakup and it is, it's hard for people because it is, it's that pulling away from that, that feeling of connection. Right. Mm. But being aware of that first and understanding that like, that's what it was for you. It's a, it's a feeling of, and you know, people think, oh, it's so silly. And that's why they feel shameful or, or angry or, or whatever with food, like food has so much emotion to it. It can be many things for many different people. Like I've seen people use food also for family members that have passed away that used to make them certain foods. And it's that comfort because it's that connection to that person still. So you're like, I want to make that food because it reminds me of that person, but then you're doing it all the time. And then you're like, now I need to break up with this food because it's not helping me, you know? So that's kind of what it is for people. So it's just understanding that and seeing it for what it is at first. Is there any time when you feel that emotional eating isn't a bad thing? It's a good thing. Food in general, like, again, this is a neutral thing too. Food in general is cultural and it's shared between families. And why not? Like, why not have that cake and that pizza? As long as you're not like severe celiac or like lactose intolerant, you're going to have like extreme reactions or allergies to things. But, you know, emotional eating, uh, there's a lot of emotion behind as a culture, what we do. And there's a lot of celebrations around food. So you know, but people I've noticed in the Western society, we are doing it alone. Like we are eating alone. We eat our dinners alone. We sit in front of a TV and like, we don't come together as a family. We don't cook as a family. And that's what, like, I see a lot of clients, um, a lot of women struggle to like, they're always making dinner alone and that their, their families are integrated. Um, they're not sort of showing their children how to cook and stuff. And when you go to other cultures, it's like, sometimes the men are the cooks and then, you know, they're showing it to the kids or the grandparents are the cooks and, you know, food is, is part of sort of their culture and, and it's their way of expressing love to one another. So, you know, if you don't eat it, it's like, <laughs> why don't you like, lo- why don't you love me? Like what's wrong with it? You know what I mean? Like, and that's yeah. just like, I noticed that when I went to Greece, I was like, okay. Cause I was like full. And I remember going to restaurants and it was like, um, you know, if you didn't accept what they gave you, it's like such a diss. And they're like, what do you mean? You know, what do you, I'm like, I'm so stuffed. Like, can I eat it later? Like, you know. Interesting. Exactly. I was going to say that when you've got family, because it's difficult, isn't it? For some people yeah. who are, and I, and I hear that a lot with them say, I went home or I'm going home for the holidays and I've got to be around family. And when you go to each person's house to visit, they bring food and it's having that vocabulary. What would you maybe give yeah. advice to someone who's going to a family event and doesn't want to be impolite by saying no that no, I don't want no food I'm full up but maybe you know would you give any kind of advice for anyone going to a family members this this one's tough because you you know that you're going to get the the backlash of the family so first of all sort of like if you are knowing that you're going to like a lot of big events or even a Christmas thing usually I tell people like save up your like like your appetite because you know a lot of people will be like I've got like this family function to go to that family function to go to and they're like within the same night or two I would say, you know, 
make sure you haven't eaten before because a that's gonna like if you walk in and you're like oh I'm stuffed like I've been to so and so like it's a it's a diss to the other person (laughs) kind of thing for like I've just made all this food you know like how could you do that to me so um go in with like you know an empty stomach and you're you're gonna be hungry I would just be aware of how much you eat like I know sometimes um people portion out for you I would just say like I love your food but like I am so full like could I just have a little piece of that like you know and I think that's a better solution than being like I don't want that or like you know I'm full I've already had dinner at so and such's house like you know earlier today like I've already had lunch with them um but try and just or even take a smaller plate you know um that's something I kind of try and do as well as like especially if you're at someone's house and they're dishing up the food and you're like I am not going to be able to eat all that because I think it's that feeling that I have to eat it all. Or it looks like I'm wait, like waste was a big thing in our family too. Like if you wasted the food, it was like, you were basically just throwing money out the window and, you know, and and that's kind of just how some people have grown up is that like you eat everything on your plate. So try and sort of, if you can politely ask like, Oh, do you mind if I can just like put my own food on, on my own plate or just, just a little bit, like just a slice. And you know, even when I'm making food for people or they've come over and they've, you know, they're having a celebration with us and, you know, we've, we've got kind of the main event of a Turkey or a cake or something. And, and someone's like, you know, Oh, I just want a really small piece. Like, I understand that. Like, I'll be like, okay. And it is like a, like a, a paper thin, <laughs> whatever they want, you know, but they just want to experience it and try it. And, um, you know, I think, uh, or obviously let them know, like if you have severe allergies or, you know, let people know, cause I know that's a tough one too. When they go like, you know, I'm celiac and I go to my, my family's house and they're like, Oh, you're fine. And they give it to them and they're having all these issues, you know? So I think that definitely needs to be addressed. Um, or, you know, maybe try and offer to bring your own dish or something like that, if that's the case, because sometimes families don't always understand like, oh, I put butter in it. You're like, but that's dairy, you know, or like I did put a bit of wheat in it. It's only a little bit. And you're like, but I'm celiac, you know, like I I can't eat any of that, you know, like, so definitely if it's something that's going to give you a lot of issues later, I definitely would bring that up. But if it's just to be polite, I would just always ask, like, can I just have a small piece of that or take it yourself? I think that's probably the best solution. Just try it a little bit, you know. <laughs> and I suppose if there's an option of like, I'm full up, but if you put a bit of that cake in a in a napkin, I'll take that home with me and I can enjoy your cake that you've created later on. Yeah, and, and that's the thing too. I think as well, a lot of families and and people want to give you like leftovers and that's something you may not eat it, but you just take it gracefully and say thank you and put it in the fridge or give it to your kids or whoever later, like it can always be reutilized. So as much as, you know, you're like, Oh no, no, I'm good. They're like, no, please take it. Cause they just like want you to, they want you to feel cared about. And that's kind of what it's more about. Cause it's otherwise you're like, no, no, I don't want your love, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or take the cake or I don't want to eat it. So yeah. You can I'll take that. Home yeah. Exactly. I always say to people as well, it, it, it's rubbish. People say, oh, I don't want to waste food, but I will say putting it in your body and your body doesn't need it is just as much of a waste of putting it in the bin. Yeah. I, I have a, I have a kind of a rule I've always had with my kids because that was sort of something like I noticed as a child, like I didn't like certain foods, especially things like potatoes for some reason. And what I realized later is it's because they were so filling and it was always boiled potatoes for some reason people would give me, but they would fill my plate with it. And I was so full with starch that I didn't have enough room in my stomach, but I felt like guilty if I wasn't eating it. So 
I always say to my kids, like, if you can't finish it, just save it for the next time. And, you know, don't worry about it, right? Like we can save room, always use it for later. And if they don't use it the next meal or, you know, like it is something that just gets thrown out after one, one time, basically. But usually like myself included, if I'm full, I usually a offer it to my kids first. And most of the time they're like, yeah, I'll take it. You know, cause they're always <laughs> so hungry. I'm like, how are you guys so hungry? But, or I'll put it in the fridge or wrap it up, have it another time. And I don't feel guilt about that. Yeah, and that's another thing I sort of say to people when they want to go out for a nice meal and like save your meal, have your big, you can go for a curry or a pizza, yeah. but you don't have to eat the whole thing. If, you're, if you've had enough, ask to take it home. Don't feel no shame. Don't feel because some people feel quite tight by going, can I take this home with me? But I've like got to a stage now. Sometimes I'll go to a restaurant, I'll split it in two. I'll eat half. Yeah, that's a good idea. If I want some more, I'll, ha- I'll take some more. But if I'm like, I'm actually all right, but... I'll ask if I can take the rest home in a goodie bag. The amount of times my husband has been so jealous of me the next day having a nice bit of chicken or whatever I've brought home from a restaurant in with a salad. And he's yeah. like, you've, you've got this, that restaurant food again. And I'm like, yeah, because I yeah. didn't overeat when I was out. I just ate what I needed. And, you know, I've learned to do that over a period of time without feeling like either, you know. That's great. That's, that's, the, that's the perfect way to start it because actually most people don't realise restaurants, especially in the Western society, they're about two to three times the size portion of what you actually would normally eat. Mm. So even if you cut your meal in half, started with half a burger or, you know, and then a side salad or whatever it was, or half a curry. Um, and then you realize like, oh, okay. So actually like, I didn't really need to eat the rest of that. And then, yeah, you get to look forward to having like the extras late. And I do that myself, but I have to be careful because the leftovers get gone in our house so fast so I have to hi- I have to hide the leftovers so otherwise I don't get them <laughs> different definition of hiding food it's like hiding food so you get some yeah not so that you have to yeah. secretly eat <laughs> yeah exactly. that's having boys in the house is it Brent? how old are your boys yeah, it is uh they are eight and ten right now but yeah they I, I swear I swear they eat just as much as a male adult like it's insane <laughs> awesome so is there any kind of things that you might suggest that people can replace with emotional instead of emotionally mm-hmm. eating what's some good kind of tips of replacements for your emotion to fill up your with emo, fill up your emotional needs as opposed to your eating food yeah so I think with that um filling up your emotional needs first it's it's the checking in because sometimes you don't even you're not even aware that you're maybe anxious or sad or just wanting that comfort and what can you do in replacement of like it depends what the need is like if you're needing in in need of comfort I would go to like, like I've got a soft fuzzy blanket behind me, like a soft fuzzy blanket, having a cup of tea, um, maybe putting some like nice pajamas on, maybe watching a funny girl movie or something. If, if you're a woman, if you enjoy that kind of stuff Um, and just really like taking care of yourself and pampering yourself. I do like, I'll paint my nails. So it keeps me distracted. Um, That's something. And that's like a self-care thing for me, having a nice bath with lots of candles and a nice book or something like that. So that's more of like a self comfort type of thing. If you're bored, go find something to do, start organizing some closets or something, because you're probably in this frantic mood that you're just like, I just need to do something and I need to keep myself busy. Also another one for feeling lonely is reach out to somebody, whether it's like, you know, if, it, if you don't, if it's maybe late in the night, write yourself a nice letter or something along those lines or journal, or you could call a friend or even do like a, a virtual meeting or something. Just, just cause I think you might need that connection to people. I think that's another good way of doing it. 
if you are actually like really craving food and you're, you know, like, I really feel, I really fancy this. And when you say fancy this, that's a very English way of saying it, but I really fancy this is that you're thinking about the food because it makes you happy. And, you know, if you keep thinking about it and you've done all these other things and you're like, you know, I just really want like some pizza or something, then I would suggest just make it yourself. Like do like a whole wheat something and then put some tomato paste and your own veggies and just it's putting the creation into it. Um, and then that would be something like you can look forward to because it keeps you busy. And then the chocolate thing too, like I do the dairy-free chocolate and I'll put it with some like natural peanut butter and an apple. And it just takes me a lot longer to eat it because I've got a lot more fiber and fruit and all this kind of stuff that I put together. And a lot of people enjoy things like those charcuterie boards as well. Like the uh, you know, the meat and the cheeses and the crackers and the fruits and all that. And that's great. I, we just do that on a cutting board. And that's a very social thing too, of just kind of getting a little plate and it's like knickknack kind of foods. And um, it's almost like a tea party feeling <laughs> like you get to sort of put it together for yourself. And that's the whole thing of food is it should be enjoyable, not a punishment. You know what I mean? So you can do all those little things. Yeah. And I think sometimes though it is, I mean, I've done that times I mean, I've had like maybe a rice cake with chocolate on it and stuff like that yeah. but sometimes it's just you just need that bit of chocolate that I'd always say yeah slow down with it just enjoy yeah. it if you're gonna go for the good chocolate make sure it's good chocolate yeah. that you really really like and sit down be present switch off your phone switch off your tv be with your chocolate and mm. just enjoy it and when it stops being enjoyable same yeah. as the rest you can always like we, we get like the chocolate bars when we've got six little slices on it that's six little squares and if you eat the first one it's really yummy the second one's really yummy the third one it's like okay it's losing its effect here yeah and then like it's about have fun that ability to stop and then going I can have them other three when I want chocolate again like maybe later yeah. or tomorrow instead of just sometimes you know we've I've opened the pack now so I'll, I'll have the fourth one and then I'll have the fifth that last one I feel a bit sick but it's gone now and yeah I can, I can not have chocolate now until I crave it again next time and then it's you eat the whole bar again so right and you're what you've done there is that you're neutralizing it saying that basically I still have more for later I can have it when I want it so it's not like oh I need to eat it now because otherwise it's not going to be there when I when it comes back kind of thing so that's a good way of looking at it because you're separating the the emotion from it saying you know I can have plenty more later there's still some there I'm enjoying what I have right now and you're and I agree like I think if you're going to go for it like a pizza or chocolate or crisps or chips or whatever it is make sure it's something that you know like you're not going to be disappointed when you go and get it something that you've had before maybe that you really have enjoyed have a you know one portion of it or something um instead of an entire box or whatever give yourself that that portion and really sit down and enjoy in the moment because if you're kind of at your computer or tv or you're doing something or you're distracted a lot of people just kind of mindlessly eat and they're like i don't even remember what i ate like, and yeah. then they're kind of, they've lost that whole like feeling of like enjoyment of it. And they're like, now I need to eat more of it to remember what it tastes like. And then you're kind of now feeling sick. Right. So that's really a good place to go with it as well. I think. Yeah. Or they look down at the popcorn or the crisps and go like, where'd they go? <laughs> Who ate them? <laughs> I don't remember yeah. eating them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So is there anything else you want to add to this conversation? I think just in terms of emotional eating is, really what I've noticed what a lot of people do is they're like, you know, I need to crack down. I need to like get myself. Like I, a lot of people know that like it's a problem, but they're, they don't sort of see what's kind of going on in between. So I think it's giving yourself that compassion and giving yourself that time to slow down and sort of check in with what's going on before it happens. 
because a lot of people like they'll sort of start to feel anxious or angry or sad or lonely and it's like you're sort of stuffing that feeling away going like but I need to find something to kind of figure out how to get rid of this feeling and that's why food never does it for people because it's not filling that actual emotional need right so I challenge people to sort of check in before they sort of go for that food to ask themselves like checking in what's going on and how are you feeling right now yeah and sometimes feelings are just a feeling and well most time feelings are just a feeling and it will pass and sometimes Mm -hmm. sitting with that and allowing that feeling to come through and letting it go as opposed to like you said pushing it back down pushing it back down with with food so it's always in there it's always and then that feeling's going to come back up again and you could keep suppressing it just sometimes sitting there and allowing it isn't it can be really powerful yeah in itself yeah awesome definitely awesome so if anyone wanted to connect with you how would they go about doing that yeah sure so I usually just let people know um my website and then they can go there all my social medias are there um anything that they need in terms of doing a nutrition consultation or meal plans or any coaching with me. So the website is www.ndelish.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to me today, us today about emotional eating. And it's been an absolute pleasure having you. And hopefully we'll maybe have you on again another time to speak about something else or the same so it's always a good topic I loved it yeah awesome (laughs) thank you thank you thank you for listening to this episode of secrets in the powder room with me Louise Bryant I hope you found this discussion on emotional eating insightful and empowering and if you want to connect with Bethany check out the show notes for the relevant links mentioned in this episode looking to take further steps towards your healing journey with me be sure to grab our self-care course or consider joining our membership for group coaching and hotspots monthly meditations and exercises i'm here to support you every step of the way thank you once again for joining us and i look forward to having bethany back again for another conversation about health and wellness take care of yourself